Hi, I'm Pastor Kelly Sullivan of New Life at Calvary Church, and I am interviewing Mrs. Evelyn Davis. Today is Monday, April the 25th, 2021. The time is around 10 o'clock a.m., and we are located at Evelyn Davis's home at 1155 Atwood Drive, Cleveland, Ohio, 44108. In the room with Evelyn and I today are her daughter, Karen Davis, also known as KK, and my co-pastor, Pastor Rick Gillespie Mobley. He will be doing the filming, and he is also of New Life at Calvary Church. Miss Evelyn Davis, do you give us permission to record you today in this oral recording of your history? Yes, I did. Thank you. Evelyn, when were you born and what neighborhoods did you grow up in in Cleveland, Ohio? I was born 1921, May 23rd. Ms. Evelyn, can you describe what segregation and, and how segregation and immigration impacted your life growing up in Cleveland? Before, before the um, migration of 1917, mm -hmm. I knew nothing about that. I was born in 1921. I really didn't know about segregation until I became a teenager. And there were places we couldn't go and neighborhoods we couldn't live in. Schools were all white. But as far as me being affected by it, no. Mm -mm. In immigration, the neighborhood that I lived in, it was first year immigrants, mostly Jewish, Italian, Polish, Hungarian. All of our schools were white. All the people, men working for the city were white. Uh, most very few, very few colored people, if you say people of color, living in Cleveland before then, when I was growing up. And when people came, when people of color came from down south, they went to certain neighborhoods, Scoville, Central, Cedar, Quincy. And it seemed that 55th and Woodland was a hub for all colored people. No one lived past 55th in Kinsman. In fact, Kinsman's, Kinsman was a runoff from Woodland. Then when Kinsman went one way, Woodland went the other way. Then when Woodland got to 89th, Buckeye came in. It went one way. Okay. And 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 in Woodland and Buckeye, those are all white. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what it was like to shop, to live, and to go to school in Cleveland. Like I said, the schools were segregated. All of my teachers were white. All of the teachers at that time were women. As far as shopping, there were no malls, no big shopping centers. And when we went downtown to shop, you dressed up like you were going to church. 
in the places down the places downtown were Halley's, Higby's, May Company, Taylor's, Stearns, uh, and Rosenblum. But as far as um, and there were places you couldn't go to eat downtown when I was growing up, especially a restaurant called Clark Clark's. However, Forum on Ninth and Euclid was busy for everybody. It wasn't segregated. Mm -mm. So I, I really didn't. I really didn't. Didn't know about segregation until I got to be a teenager. What was it like to live in the community of Cleveland? Well, like I said, where I lived was mostly Hungarian, Polish, uh, Jewish people, Italian. And we lived in a company house. My daddy worked for Cleveland Hardware, and that's why we were uh, got the kinsmen. It was very few in my neighborhood, blacks, very few. Mm-mm. How did you come to work for the Call and Post? Well, I was going to Central High School, which was at 55th and Thackeray, and I had to pass the Call Post office and factory at between Scoville and Central. And I saw the boys, you know, getting their papers. So I went in and asked them, could I be a Call Post worker? Not a boy, Cobble's girl. And they said, yeah. Now, at that time, we were in the Depression. My daddy half the time didn't have a job. My mother was a stay-at-home person. The call post was five cents. They got three cents, and I kept the two cents. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you to be the first girl to sell newspapers for the call and post? We didn't think about it. I was just selling papers. That was it. But I know this. I had to stay with an adult, Mr. Lowe or either William or Walker. I couldn't go because I was a girl, and they were respecting me. And the little boys were rough and saying little naughty things, so they didn't want me to hear. <laughs> and in the picture, you can see Mr. Loeb and William O. Walker. This is Mr. Loeb. Did you take a picture? Mr. Loeb, William O. Walker, and me. Where were you at on that day? Tell us a little bit more about why that picture was taken. It was a contest selling newspapers. Mm -hmm. They have a contest. And you want me to? Oh, and the first prize was this bicycle. The second prize, they didn't even give me the radio, so I don't have the radio. I was upset because I wanted this bicycle for my brother. He was about 10 years old. But as time went by, to me, the radio was a better pride. And the reason I say that, the house that we lived in, when we moved in, it didn't have electricity. It had gas lights. Soon after that, my daddy had, we got electricity. Very few people had electricity. They were using coal oil lamps because remember now, this is during the Depression. So whenever... uh 
Joe Lewis had a fight. Dorothy Fulheim was speaking. Father Coughlin was speaking. And Roosevelt fireside chats. My daddy would bring the he would bring the radio outside, and people in the neighborhood would come and, and listen to the radio. Mm-hmm. Where where was that picture at? Is that in front of the column post? This picture is in Washington D.C. No, I mean that building that's that, behind That's the it. building, Fifty Fifth and and between Central and Scoville. And then they moved to um, uh, 105th and Chester. Then Carl Post moved back to St. Clair. And then they moved to Shaker, and they're still located there at Shaker Boulevard. What was the name of the column you wrote for the column post? It's called Personal Happenings. And what did you write about in the column? Club, birthdays. Uh, who was having a party, cookout. Mostly it started out with people at school, children at school. Then as I, as, as I got older, then I started writing for clubs and things like that. Funerals. Mm-hmm. Just, just gossip. How did you get that, that position of writing a column in the column post? Well, I always like to write. It was just one of those things. And I had other friends that were writing at the same time. Christy Chat, Jacqueline Balthrop, Robert Williams, and Diggity Bradley. They were all writing, too. Mm-hmm. So one day you found out that this picture of you in the Colin Post was going to be featured in the Museum and the National Museum of African American History and Culture in D.C. Tell me about finding out that your picture was going to be in the museum. My daughter called me and she said, oh, I'm sorry. Can you see, see that? Yes. And it says, can you identify these call and post news boys? My daughter called me and she said, Ma, didn't you write for the call post? I said, yes, and I sold call posts too. So I called them up and told them it was a girl in this picture. They said, no, these are all boys. I said, it's a girl in that picture. And they couldn't find it. So they came out here to take the picture. That's me. When it came out, they didn't believe it. The picture hung over there since 1935, and they never knew it was a girl up there. So here we are again. I went out to, to buy some more car posters, and that's me. I didn't tell them who I was. They said, why are you buying so many pictures, papers? And I said, because I'm on it. And that's when they took this picture. But this was taken right here in my house. That's it. And here I am pointing to the picture. Mm-hmm. Never knowing it would end up coming. Mm-hmm. There it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, point. Oh, so what? In Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm pointing to the picture. Hang it on the wall. There it is. 
What was it like to go to DC and see your and, picture? And you know, what? I don't think they know it's one. They don't know. It's, I mean, they, it has never been told to them. Mm -mm. And I went to the call post to ask them to let them know it's a girl in that picture, but I've never heard from the call post. What was it like to go to the museum and see your picture hanging on the wall? Well, let me tell you this. It was a whole lot of confusion and chaos when, when I was in Washington. They didn't know what was happening upstairs on the third floor. I was up there signing autographs and people taking pictures. I was a celebrity that Sunday. <laughs> But they still didn't, there was no one there to, to know I was a girl. There was no personnel working that day. It was on a Sunday, so there was nobody working that day. That I could say, hey, I am a girl. And there I am. What day was that that you visited? Do you remember what year and date that hey. was? Oh, I should have. It was in 1970. <laughs> How I met my husband. My older sister had a very busy social life. I did not have a social life. My mother told my sister, if you don't find a boyfriend for your sister, your social life is going to be cut in half. So my sister found me a boyfriend. And that's how I met my husband. When she had a date, she brought him to the house with her, with, with the date. Mm -hmm. Now, I married Andy Davis in September 6, 1941. And out of that union, I had Anthony. He was born in 1947. Uh, Ricardo and Michael are twins. They were born in 49. Karen Davis is my only daughter. Then 1960, I had my last baby, which was Stacy, born in 1960. And 1960 is the year I started teaching. Sure did. Mm -hmm. Go back and tell us a little bit more about your husband, his name, date of birth. Edward Davis. Oh, boy. He was born in Cleveland from a family of 15. He had 10 brothers. <laughs> And about three or four sisters. He went to the, he went to service. He was in the service, Navy Army for about three years. He came home in October the sixteenth, nineteen forty-five. He uh, it was he was a signal signal corps person, laying the wires. But when he came back to Cleveland, to Ohio, segregation. He went down to Ohio Bell to get hired. They didn't hire black men, people at that time. So he started working for the railroad with his father. Uh, 
had a little, my husband was dark, very, very dark. And one of the men, Greeks working with him, said to him, why do you wash up and clean up? You can't tell it. So that was the end of that. He floored him. <laughs> and he lost his job. So, so my husband, my, my father was working for the city and they needed a labor and he got hired through my father. And he worked for the city for 35 years. Trump, he went from taking the cans out of the backyard, driving any kind of motor for the city of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. How did World War II change your husband's life in Cleveland? Now, before he, as a teenager, he, he worked with CCC, 3C, where boys would learn how to do different things and they got paid for it. And this, with all the children that his mother and father had, they needed an extra income. So he went out to CCC. Uh, and he learned he learned to trade, but when he came back, it was after the World War II. It was hard for black men to find work in Cleveland, I guess in every other place too. So after he got his job working for the city, that's what he continued for thirty five years. Mm-hmm. What was it like to be a black Rosie the Riveter during the war? Well, you know what? We were so busy getting ready, throwing out airplanes. We didn't think about what was important. The only thing important was you get a job done with with very few mishaps. That's all. We didn't even discuss being a Rosie Riveter until after the war. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But yes, I was Rosie the Riveter. How did you get that job? Uh, really, you know what? Fisher Bodies was asking for people. And I just went out there and showed up, got hired at Coit Road, had to go to school out there for two weeks. Then they sent me to the west side to the bummer plant because the men now were being drafted. You had to have women. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that time that you took your children to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. was just coming out of desegregation. I had called around to all, I thought, black hotels in Washington and I didn't like what I was hearing. So I decided to call the White Hotel. And I called the manager, and I told him I was a black mother, and I was bringing four black males and one female, and I wanted to know would we be welcome. And this was this was the Sherham, right, KK? The Sherham Hotel. KK was about 6, 11, 13, those were the for children. And I t- talked to him and told him everything. So he says, when you get into Washington, you call me. And I did. He sent a taxi. You know, the, 
and a babysitter for KK. And three or four people to carry our luggage in. This babysitter, I told her, don't worry about cleaning up no wounds or nothing. The kids do it at home, so they do it. We would get up about five o'clock every morning, walk. Now, Tony knew, had been a Boy Scout, so he was good on reading maps. So we would, we would get up at five o'clock. We would be the first ones in most line. Okay. I don't believe my children miss anything in Washington. I've got pictures of them all in Washington. One lady, one, one of the waitresses, she heard me talking to my children and was asking them what, where they want to go eat. So she said, Mama, can I tell you something? She said, it's your best bet to use a chain for eating because other places, private, don't have to accept you. So we would eat in Walgreens lunch and Walgreens lunch. Uh, like I said, we, everything. The White House went all through, back then you could, she went all through the White House, all through the Rotunda, all through uh, Smithsonian, all through uh, the Wax Museum, all through uh, the <laughs> people that are becoming lawyers. What do you call them? I heard it down here. But anyway, they had a good time. And 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 when when Kennedy was assassinated, and we sit there and looked at it. My kids could say, we've been there, we've been there. They have been there all the time. Miss mm -hmm. Avalon, what inspired you to become a teacher? I had three children in Parkwood School. I was busy with the PTA. I was vice president of the PTA. Cleveland Borders built an annex to Parkwood. The principal was Ruth Crumhansel, and the assistant principal was Margaret Pruitt. Kent State had an extension at John Adams High School in 1953. Miss Crumhansel says to me, oh, I was a cleaning lady at Parkwood. She said to me, Mrs. Davis, you would make a good teacher. She says, take this application. And what I did, Kent State had an extension at John Adams. I went to John Adams. I took the test. I passed the examination. And they sent me the letter, 1953. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, this is my application, and it's passing. Now, this is the letter. I, this is my first the report card of me telling me they're waiting for me just to go ahead and finish and come on down. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's how I start teaching. Mm-hmm.
tell us a little about your teaching career, such as where you completed your education and the different places you taught. I can't state. Do you want my high school? No. It's on it's on there too. Is that is that it? Anyway, I graduated from Kent State in nineteen eighty, I think it was, I was sent to University of Santa Barbara in California to get my Montessori license. You do not get a diploma, you just get licensed. Tell us a little bit about your teaching career, such as where you completed your education and the different places that you taught. Okay. I had three children at Parkwood Elementary School. I was active with the PTA. I was vice president. Annex was added to Parkwood in about 1955. They asked me if I would like to have a job as a cleaning lady, and I said yes, so I was a cleaning lady. Ruth Crumhansel was the principal. Margaret Pruitt was the assistant principal. All right. Kent State had an extension at John Adams, and I went there, passed the test, and enrolled in Kent State during the summer. Uh, there was a shortage of teachers in Cleveland, and schools were on half day. And I had done my student teaching in 1960 at Miles Standish School, which is now Michael E. White. And uh, after I did my student teaching, Principal Helen Palmer gave me a letter to take down to the Board of Education. She said they may hire you because I was a B student. So I went down there and had the interview. They told me a couple of days that I would hear from them. I said, is it possible for me to see Ruth Hansel? They said, yes. So I went in to see Ms. Hansel. We talked. So what are you doing? I told her, nothing at the moment. She says, are you available? I said, well, I haven't finished school yet. She said, but are you available? And I said, yeah. She picked up the phone, and she called Wade Park School, talked to Gladys Stevenson. She said, I think I've got your first grade teacher. Bruce, this was the principal. Okay, gave me another letter. I took this to Wade Park and was hired half day. So from 1960 to 19, what, for 27 years, I taught first grade at Wade Park. They came along, they sent me to the west side to Elmira. Elmira's, I left Elmira and went to Hicks, just plain Hicks. Then Hicks went Montessori. For the changeover, I was sent to University of Santa Barbara to get my certificate.
So I've already taught at Way Park, Elmira, and Hicks. What did you enjoy most about your life as a teacher? What I enjoyed most was when a child had been having trouble with a problem, reading or math, and the light came through and he said, I got it. I got it. I know. Miss Davis, I got it. I got it. And if I didn't call on that person, then he started pouting. So whenever the child said to me, I got it, call me, that's me. That's me. And they would get angry if I didn't call on them. I've had children to get up out the seat and come up and, Miss Davis, call me, call me. And, and they called my, my room, one house school, and it was noisy all the time, but I knew how to get order. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the grades. You taught which grades? First grade. First grade. Mm -hmm. So we're going to switch again, Mr. We're going to be switching again. So tell us about how your family became a part of St. Mark's Church, St. Mark's Presbyterian Church. As a child, my mother's mother passed. Her father put the girls in a boarding school. It was like an orphanage too. And it was run by Presbyterians. So when my mother came north, she looked for a Presbyterian church. And St. Mark's at that time was the only black Presbyterian church in the city of Cleveland. And my daddy, he was Baptist. He went to a church called Tristone down on 30th and Scoville somewhere. Mm -hmm. But now, I was born into St. Mark's Church, so I, I don't know what the date would have been. Mm -hmm. But now, I was active in St. Mark, and this is plaque. You see that plaque says 1930? My teacher's name was Lucy Davis. And I would have had to be about nine or ten years old. And she was the head lady in the nursery. I would take the children to the washroom. If one was crying, I would console them. I would help them take off their galoshes and things like that. And I just started working in the church nursery. Mm -hmm. Now, as me and as an adult in the nursery, St. Mark's was on 55th and Thackeray. They moved to Garfield, 103rd and Garfield. Had a fire at 103rd and Garfield in the early 50s. And they moved to East Boulevard. They moved to East Boulevard, Palm Sunday, 1953. Reverend Pope was the minister. By this time, I had Tony and the twins. I couldn't leave out. They didn't want me to leave out the nurse. The babies would cry. Okay. So I would stay, stay with them. And after a while, I became the teacher. Everybody else up there that was teaching, they wanted to go to church. They did not want to give up every Sunday. I didn't mind giving up, you know. So that's how I started teaching St. Mark's.
Not only was I the nursery school teacher, I was also the cleaning lady. After I ret- oh, after I retired, I became a full-time nursery teacher at St. Mark's. When the cook was absent, I cooked whatever needed to be done. I done. I painted, upholstered furniture. Belonged to a group was called Prin, where we exchanged duties. If you wanted your house painted and he wanted a pie and I did some sewing with no money, we did. We would go to a retreat at Harkness. I was the babysitter. That was it. Mm-hmm. What types of things in the nursery did you like to do with the children? What I like to do? In the nursery with the children. I like to read to them and tell stories. And just being me. <laughs> Shoot. Uh-huh. Remember now when you're talking about nursery, I would have from diaper babies to what, about three or four year olds. So not too much you can do, but just keep them happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, Tell me the total time you worked in the nursery at St. Mark's. At same the time, like the year you started in what year and you? Oh, I started in 1953 until I came to uh, Calvary. Now, when did I come to Calvary? This <laughs> in this in there. Oh, in fact, I have a plaque that says 50 years mm-hmm. that I was up in that nursery. So tell us about how you came from St. Mark's Presbyterian Church to Calvary Presbyterian Church. Well, some of the people at St. Mark's wanted to, were moving out different, spreading out, and they wanted to, incomes were increasing, they had more money, they were buying homes in different neighborhoods. And it was very few blacks in Glenville that were Presbyterian. Mm-mm. And, and black churches were, black ministers were taking over churches in Glenville, Mount Pleasant. Mm-hmm. So how did you come to Calvary? I came to Calvary because the minister at Calvary at that time was Reverend Lynham. Reverend Lynham had been a member at St. Mark's Presbyterian Church. I put diapers on Adrian, his daughter, so I knew them quite well. And when I walked into Calvary, he handed me the keys and he said, do the best you can. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I walked right in and went to the nursery. What other roles and activities have you participated in in the church? At St. Mark's or at Calvary? At both. Well, like I said, I was teaching cleaning lady at 
St. Mark. We would go to camp. I was the babysitter. <laughs> the whole church would go. I would be the babysitter. Uh, what else? Oh, camping, sewing, whatever needed to be done, I tried to do it. Mm -hmm. But I, I became a full-time teacher at Wade, Wade. I, I became a full-time teacher at St. Mark's after I retired. Mm -hmm. So tell us about serving at Calvary. What would, what other things that you do at Calvary? Well, like I said, I walked in there and he gave me the keys. And I worked in the nursery until, I don't know how I started cooking, but I started cooking. I was cooking in the nursery. Uh, I mean, cooking in, what else did I do? We, we were sewing, remember the cushions? We did the cushions. Uh, what else? Go to different organizations. Mm-hmm. Just whatever need to be done, I try to do it. Mm -hmm. How has the church and your involvement with the church affected your life? You know, before my mother died, she said to me, they called me Lena. She says, Lena, I want you to stay in the church. She said, that's all you have to do is just give yourself. And that's what I did. I tried to obey I've tried to be a good church worker. Mm -hmm. What was your parents' names? My mother was Ada Caroline Roseman. And my daddy was John Oliver Patton. And they were both from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And evidently they had to migrate here 17, 18, or 19, because I had a sister that was born here in 20. So they had, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell us, who were your brothers and sisters? Your brothers and sisters? How many brothers and sisters? I, I had three sisters and one brother, Johnny May, Coletta, and Cleve. What's some of the things that you enjoy doing, like writing poems and scrapbooking? Had you been here a year ago, from here to here was plants. From here to here were plants. I got the pictures in there. I like growing things. I like to sew. I like to talk. <laughs> I like to write poetry. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us when and why did you visit the White House? And can you tell us uh, why you were at the White House podium? I had a, a friend, Pat Brooks Frost. She was, he has a picture, she was president of Ohio Teachers Union, okay. And she had worked with Obama, casting votes and all that stuff. So she knew I have a collection of Obama. She and my daughter surprised me and 
got me an invitation to the White House. So Christmas, December the 12th, 2020. No, no, 24. Wait a minute. Where did I go to the White House? 2012. That's what. December the 12th, 2012. I received an invitation to the White House. Now, this, we had a briefing. He had the briefing. And his question was, what did you think about the performance that Obama had done so far? And I raised my hand. So they told me to go up to the podium, give my name, where I was from, and blah, blah, blah. And the question was, what do you really think Obama was doing? And what was in the future for him? And that's what I did. What did I write down there? I thought if I had, I told him if I had to give him a grade, it would be A plus plus plus. I had voted Democrat since my first vote, which was Del, Delino Roosevelt. Dela, not 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 the old old Roosevelt. Not the Theodore Roosevelt, but the Franklin Roosevelt. That was my first vote. And I had voted ever since. I had never thought there would be a black president. And I was very proud of him. I wished him the best of health. I wished more people would join him on the same page, working for the same thing, and he could do much, much better. I told him, I asked him to pray with me that his family remain as a family, as an example to what families are supposed to be, and they all stay healthy. And that was it. Miss Evelyn, can you go back to your childhood and tell us about the experience that your family had with the KKK? Oh, KKK, you don't. My mother had a sister, uh, and, and her name was Aunt Anna. Aunt Anna had a sister, and she was named Minnie. And Anna was married to Uncle Walter. Uncle Walter was just getting over having the shingle, and Minnie had heart trouble. So for the summer, they were going to spend it out in the country, getting health and everything. I was had to go with it because I was needing fresh air, my mother said, and going to eat good vegetables, so I gained some weight. We moved in on a Thursday. Two-family house. No one was downstairs, living downstairs. However, next door was a black lady sitting with a gun in her lap, long gun in her lap. She didn't open her mouth. She didn't say one word all the time. We were moving in and out. She was not friendly at all. That Friday, whooping and hollering, lights were flickering, which was fire. When we looked out the door, the window, it was one, two, three crosses. One for Anna, one for Uncle Walter, one for a minute and a small cross 
for me. They were horses going around in a circle. They all were dressed in white, carrying guns, and these crosses were burning. I kid you not. My auntie, since we had just moved in, furniture was everywhere. My auntie told me to get into the tub. I got into the tub. She put clothes on top. She put a mattress on top. And she told me, don't come out. Because we knew my mom and daddy was going to come back this Sunday because we were coming to bring food. And that went on for two, three days. They never, they never came upstairs, but they kept on bricks and stuff through the window. Now, I, after that Sunday, I don't remember anything else. I don't remember. I know I could not talk when when they brought me in to take me to the hospital. I couldn't talk because they had just chopped my tongue up. But I don't remember anything. Don't remember anything. Mm-mm, I don't, but I'm going to tell you this. I wrote an essay, something that happened in your life, that you, and I wrote this essay, and I turned it in. My grammar teacher, Mrs. Bean, she gave it back to me, and she says to me, do you know it's a fine if you steal somebody else's writing? I told her, I didn't steal that writing. That really happened to me. She didn't believe me. And she told me to write again. And she sent for my mother and father. And my mother and father told no, that happened to her. That really happened to me. I didn't think no more about it until 1948. Went to the movie, saw the kill of Markenberg. And when they, did you see, you didn't see it? You seen it written? Klu Klux. Klu Klux. That's right. Klu Klux. I had to leave out. Now, I didn't think no more about it until recently, last two weeks, when this woman was going to do the Klu Klux. You know. She, you never, mm-hmm. This was out in the West Side. All I knew was on Clegg Road. Now, in one, I would say maybe in the early 70s, one of the twins was working for the city, and he was working at a, at a click room, and I had to go pick him up. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't think about it. Don't think about it. But that happened here in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Oh, Reflecting on your almost 100 years, what will you say you are most proud of from your life? Well, almost 100 years, I'm blessed. I'm blessed with my health. I'm blessed with my memory. I'm blessed with my total family, nieces, nephews, everybody. And I'm very fond of my family, blessed with my family. And until the virus came out, I really didn't know how blessed I was to have a church family. If you could leave one piece of advice for family, friends, and community, what would it be? 
uh, don't ever be too busy to stop and talk to God. So go back to writing poetry. You like to write poetry. Would you share the poem that you wrote in celebration of your milestone birthday? Happy birthday to me. Born 1921, May 23. As I look back over the years, there have been laughter. There has been tears. I have lived many changes, some good and some bad. Some made me happy, some made me sad. I've seen many sunrises and sunsets. I have many memories I cannot forget. There have been countless nights when I could not sleep. I talked to the shepherd, did not count sheep. I have tried to live a Christian life, reaching out to my fellow man. I tried to do the best I could, leaving footprints in the sand. I thank my Savior every day. For the love, forgiveness, and blessings that he sends my way. Today is special. I am blessed. I feel great. Happy birthday to me. Let's celebrate.